welcome to Rewrite the Rules, the show about women leaders in Asia. My name is Ritu Mehrish and I interview successful women leaders across Asia to discover how they are rewriting the rules of life, career and relationships. From these conversations, we will get practical and actionable tips that we can use to accelerate our own career journeys. Don't worry about writing all the points because I will summarize them at the end for you. We will also link the entire transcript in the show notes. Hi, good morning, Anna. It is lovely to have you on our show. Welcome to our podcast. And just for our audience, I'm going to do a brief introduction of Anna. So Anna is a founder of Zora Health, which is simplifying fertility care, making it more affordable and accessible for women around the world. With that, Anna, once again, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ritu. So maybe to give you a bit of background, I just founded my third company, Zora Health. Like we mentioned, it actually what I wanted to do is to simplify fertility care, things like IVF, egg freezing, and to make make it more accessible and affordable yeah. for women. It's very interesting because I've never thought that I'll do this. There are a lot of reasons of how I came to do this to a lot of people. Fertility is a very taboo. There's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. Yeah. And what we want to do is really first change the conversation around it. And lastly, I think because fertility treatments are very expensive, we want to make it more affordable for people so that they can afford treatment. Wow. Anna, you mentioned this is your third company, right? Tell us about your first company. How did you even start on this entrepreneurial yeah. journey? When I was younger, I wanted to be in finance. I spent 10 years in finance, being a banker and I was going to another join another bank, but I had some health issues. I have some precancerous cells. And mm-hmm. I had like I think for about six months my body was just breaking down. My half of my face was paralyzed. And I thought, okay, I needed a break. And during this break, I thought to myself, you know what, I want to do something to give back. And I felt very lucky, right? So I, my first company is actually the New Savvy. Hmm. It's Asia's leading platform for women. We focus on financial investments and career matters. So hmm. what we want to do is to empower women to achieve financial happiness. And what I found out was a lot of women actually are earning more money. They are saving, but not many people are making their money work harder for them. Like I think there's a lot of a lot of generational things that people told us like, oh, leave the money management to your husband. Women are not good at math and a lot of these things, right? And I think that's why there's a lot of fear, a lot of apprehension towards that. Mm. And one of the reasons I wanted to start the new savvy is, well, I first wanted to start for financial literacy for children. Mm. I mean, my whole life, I think my family grew up, we financially struggled throughout our life. Mm. And I remember when we were in university in 06, 07, Things were very, I think it was an economic boom. My landlord was increasing rental and my mom didn't earn a lot. And Mm. I grew up in uni thinking like, okay, I might get evicted out of my house, right? Mm. So being 21, I told myself, okay, my one financial goal is to buy a home for my family, for my parents. Wow. Wow. And I know, but I think it's really naive of me because I Mm. sat in class. I remember the class. It's entrepreneurship and business creation. I sat down and I said, okay, I'm going to buy a home before 30 and I don't know how to do it. And being naive, I didn't realize how expensive housing is. I think HDB flat costs about 500,000. Mm. I was thinking, how can somebody like me, so ordinary, how can I achieve this? And so I worked out a plan studying finance. I did a plan, financial analy- analysis. 
And I think because I had such a burning desire for that goal, I actually saved most of my money in my early 20s when I was working. And I bought the home at like 28. Amazing. Well done. Yeah. So that was my first company. I think we were in five countries, Singapore, Philippines, Hong Kong, India, and Vietnam. And what we and that in itself, seven years of entrepreneurship in the new service have taught me a lot. I think on our second year, while we are fundraising for Series A, what happened was I got hacked. So so we lost everything, thousands of articles. The only thing we didn't lose was customer data, thankfully. Okay. And at that point of time, I think I asked myself, is this really what I want to do? I mean, I was very distraught. It's, it's as if your life's work is gone, right? And, and I actually blame myself a lot. I, I thought that I was very incompetent and clearly I'm not equipped to do this. And it was actually a struggle for me because I was fairly young then, I think 30 plus, 31, mm. 32. And I go to the office, I have to lead a team of 10 and show strength, show that you're a good leader, cannot be yeah. too emotional. Otherwise yeah. people say that you're a woman, you can't be too emotional. And then at home, I'll just go unhinged. Like I'll just start binge drinking and all that. Mm. Yeah, I actually took a deeper look at myself and I asked myself what is important to me, what's important in the career. And actually just before COVID, I started a second company. I met my business partner, five of us. Well, we started ABZD Capital, which is mm. an investment fund focusing on F&B. Mm-hmm. And but what happened is we also have we have a company called Gourmet Holdings where we buy over the restaurants and scale them up. So when we started, we bought so for example one of the brands when we bought the brand it was only two outlets. I think now mm-hmm. we have about seven or eight. Yeah. Wow. How do you go from financial literacy career platform, women empowerment to Gourmet Holdings, like to F and B space? Like how is that switch? I think before I joined, I was very hesitant because as FMB is a very hard, tough industry. It's 24 7. Hmm. Most office jobs, you work from Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, right? But FMB, your busiest period is actually the off peak hours. And during normal working days, we are still in, in the corporate, right? So I would say that I think I learned a lot on the job. And hmm. actually, a very interesting fact is when first. When we first opened our first two outlets in Vivo City, I think a month later, COVID hit. So a lot of my friends always joke, you really have the perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think what was interesting is we, I think we were at the right size. I think we had about seven outlets. So we were nimble enough to pivot, but not mm. small enough to not have the resources. Yeah. What we did, so what I did was I actually did a lot of social media marketing, influencer marketing, advertisement online. And we really pivoted the business from purely offline to online to delivery. But one thing that, one thing that whole period taught me was, if you remember COVID, there was a period where this, I I think it it felt almost like a reckoning. You knew something was wrong and you just don't know how bad it is. This was before circuit breaker, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what happened is I remember sitting down with my partners and, and I asked, what is the worst case scenario here? What do you think? And they said, shut down the whole business. I was like, oh, you mean like we don't open? And they were like, no, like we just closed down and return investors' money. I told my partners, I don't mind if we don't take salary. The only thing I ask is let's not let anyone go because everyone 
has a family to feed, everyone has their responsibilities, right? So if we can, either we all don't take a salary or we just overcut across the board. Yeah. And actually, I'm very proud to say that through COVID, we didn't let anyone go. We actually hired nice. more people. We grew through COVID. COVID was actually very good with us because we did such aggressive marketing hmm. and uh, our brand value grew. Nice, nice. And now coming to Zora Health, how did that come into being? What led you to Zora Health? So, so last year, I actually stepped down from the role. I was still on the board, but I t- told my partners, look, I think there was a milestone achievement that we did and mm. our future plans was to open more restaurants. I wanted to go more back into tech because at the new savvy, I was very involved in the tech industry, mm. tech world. And I actually started, founded the Singapore Fintech Association and for women wow. in fintech. I think throughout COVID, I was really very tired. And I really felt, okay, maybe it's time for somebody else to take the company forward and it may not be me. So by the time I stepped down, we have about close to 30 plus outlets fundraised and we had five brands. So that's that. And I decided I wanted to take a break, right? And didn't really take a break. I ended up filming a Web3 documentary for Channel News Asia. So what was very interesting is during this time when I'm taking a break, I realized that my body, the way I respond and all that was very different mm. from before. I have put on about 15 kg in the last four, five years. Mm. And I realized that I have PCOS, polycystic mm. ovarian syndrome. I thought that I was premenopausal. Everyone yeah. says, too early, you're too young. I'm 39. Yeah. So yeah. not that young. And it can happen. So I was researching on, for that, right? And I went to Google, I went online and I was like, hey, I think I have all the symptoms. And so my boyfriend is a surgeon and I told mm. him, I, I have all the symptoms. And he was like, can you please don't diagnose yourself with yeah. Mr. Google? <laughs> yeah. So I went to research on this whole space and I realized that, again, this is exactly like finances set eight years ago when I first started, right? It's quite taboo. People are all experiencing it. Nobody's yeah. really talking about it. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of myths and a lot of misconceptions. Yeah. There's no one really doing or tackling the problem here. And I asked myself, okay, what are people doing overseas? What can we do to actually talk more about it? So over the years, I've spoken to more than 100 women privately. I'm still not sure if I want to have children, but I'm so glad that I did it because now that you can't travel, like at Mm. that point of time when all your personal liberties are taken, your choices are all taken away. I see, I'm quite glad that I did it and... I actually wrote an 8,000 word article on egg freezing and all the research that I didn't do. And and I think the article went viral because people, women really resonated with it. Wow. And that's how you thought, okay, it's time to start something here. I think I've spent my life wanting to debunk myths and also thinking how people or women can really invest in ourselves and the community around us, right? Like for the new savvy, I think we wanted to help women to have financial independence. And now with fertility, I will say that even though it sounds very different, to me it's the same because we want to help women achieve fertility freedom, redefining what all of this means to them. Absolutely. This is such an interesting story and such interesting insights. Because this podcast is about women leaders and it's about how the challenges of women leaders in different spheres of life, what have been some of the challenges that you faced from a lens of being a woman entrepreneur or yeah, or a women leader? I think for me personally, is I question myself a lot. And this is very obvious 
when I worked with my male co-founders in my previous business, right? When I make a decision or when I think about something, I actually sometimes doubt myself a lot. And I, I think this is something that is very prevalent to most women. Yeah, We suffer a lot from imposter syndrome. And I, I think even with my male friends, with my boyfriend, when I speak to them, I can tell the difference in terms of either confidence level. That's one. Number two, I think I struggle with the balance. If I'm honest, I struggle a bit. I struggle a bit about communication in the workplace. Hmm. So for example, I think when you're a man and you say, hey, go and do this or something like that, people take it as it's fine. You're being authoritative. I think I look younger and generally I'm quite a bubbly person. So when I say certain things like that in the workplace scenario, I've been told that stop being so aggressive. You sound very fierce. And I'm like, okay, I'm mm. not sure if I'm actually saying this different things, right? So mm. these are some things that I thought was very interesting nuances. Yeah. Going back on the first one, just questioning decisions, double guessing, imposter syndrome, and as you rightly said, more common in women than men. How did you drive your inner narrative to get through that or to work through that? So I had this epiphany a few months ago, right? I think when I was younger, I've always worked very hard. And initially, I think it's out of necessity because I wanted to earn some financial comfort, some financial freedom. And then after that, it became like, I want to prove myself. Right. So maybe it's low self-esteem, maybe imposter syndrome. I want to prove to people that it's not just a one-hit wonder. I can do this. Like I'm good enough. I'm not just lucky. I came from investment banking, right? And mm. they used to have this saying, love and sleep are for the week. Mm. But last year, I actually did a lot of reflection, a lot of self-work. And one thing I realized is I think a lot of self-confidence come from first self-love. Yeah. And also the love and trust from other people. So this time around is very different because when I started Zora, I want to be successful, but it's because and I know that I have the faith and trust from all the people that cares about me, that care about me. Wow. Was there any pivotal moment, any anecdote that you can think of which kind of reshaped your thinking or your path? I do. I will classify my journey in three parts. So sure. the first part is really, I want to win at all costs because I needed money. Like I needed yeah. financial comfort. The second part to me is always about being efficient. And I think that's who I am naturally because growing up in Singapore, I wanted excellence, right? And to me, when I look at people, I tell, I used to think as a manager, like, okay, why don't you understand? And if I have to teach you, hmm. I'm spending more time teaching you, right? And right. Yeah, I just wanted to hit goals. In FMB, it was a very pivotal moment for me as an entrepreneur. So one of the things that happened was I was speaking to a friend and I was saying, I'm very perplexed, right? A lot of these things about managing people. And he said, as a manager, if you are dealt with, say, C players mm. or even B players, and you are complaining, that is your own failure. Because your job as a manager is to make sure that it's like a football manager. Regardless mm. of the players you have, you have to make them star players. This is, I think, my own like coming of age as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I used to think that being an entrepreneur is about having success, having money, having glory and recognition, right? But I realized actually the point of being an entrepreneur is that you are 
responsible for the people that work for you. Yeah. You are a team. You are actually responsible for their family and their livelihood. So it's mm. on you to make it work for them. It's not just about money. It's really about impacting people's yeah. lives. In my FMB role, I really grew a love for people. I will say that it's a journey for me. Nice, nice. No, and also the fact that you recognized it and wanted to work on it, that itself makes a point about being open to to things or to feedback or to inputs, right? So so that's really good. I want to pivot back to women leaders and younger emerging women leaders, whether they're in the corporate world or on an entrepreneurial journey. What would your one or two piece of advice would be, Anna, to them? I think my first advice is never complain, never explain. Hmm. I think a lot of time we complain a lot about everything, but mm. I think being a leader and being in a public or leadership position, yeah. you can never please everyone. And to be honest, everyone will have something to say about you, right? So unless those people are really the people who matter, I think sometimes you don't have to explain yourself. You just have yeah. to work in silence. Right. I love that. You are now working with so many women, whether they're clients, whether they're team members in general. Is there anything that you see where you want to be like, oh, I wish women could change that thing about themselves or would change the way they are thinking or the way they are driving narrative? I thought that a lot of this, I'm not sure whether the word is lack of self-confidence, right? But I mean, this is something that research has shown, right? When a yeah. man is only 60% qualified, they apply yes. for the job and when women are more than qualified they still think that they're not yeah. I always thought it was for younger women maybe in the 20s right mm. but I realized that even with my friends who are late 30s early 40s yeah. a lot of us still feel that maybe we are not equipped to do it mm. unless you are very it's not a role that we have done right yeah. so I, I think that's something that stood out for me mm. Right, right. That kind of brings me to another thing, because I've been speaking to a lot of women leaders who've had a great journey like yourself. What has been your experience of having um, a good support system or a support ecosystem? Has that worked for you, just having the right kind of people around you? Yes, definitely. I think entrepreneurship is really hard. I will say that there are really days where I just don't want to get out of bed. So having the right people, and I will say it's different types of people, different mm. groups of people. So you have people who are like your mentors that you look up for, that keeps you accountable, right? Or coaches mm. that keeps you accountable, telling you, you need to do this. For me, what I really found very useful was also having fellow entrepreneurs, people who understand the journey. And actually, there are a lot. It's a very supportive group community, right? There are people that I go and say, hey, look, I want to do this. And this is something that happened. What do you think I should do? Right. And then there are also people who really just sit down and empathize with you. Yeah. It's almost like a relationship, right? Like, so one thing that I learned was is when people come to me and complain, I always ask them, do you want me to listen or do you want me to give advice? You see, that's quite interesting, right? We are kind of made to feel like we have to solve everyone's problem. Yeah, we do. Yes. There's that unsaid burden almost say, oh, we need to, if somebody is sharing, we need to solve for it or we need to get involved and do something about it. Yes. As you look back from when you started, when you said the first thing was win at any cost, you had very solid financial goals and you worked towards them. Today, where you are now, 
How do you define success? I, I would say that now that I'm a lot more mature and still growing, I will define success in three ways. So one is definitely the traditional measure of success. And I don't mm. think that I can really run away from that, right? Like, sure. So to grow my company, we want to help women across the world or across Asia to really redefine their fertility, their mm. choices. So that's one. And grow the team and make sure that the people that work with us are taken care of. My second one will be really to focus on the people that I care about. I think when people when I think when people have really catastrophic failures, you realize who are the people that matter to you and the people who will be there for you, right? I think a lot of times there are a lot of people who are very nice, but they are not there when you need them. Yeah. So I and I will say that when it comes to finances, right, a lot of people think that Hey, having a lot of money means I have buy multiple properties in Singapore or whatever, mm. right? But the truth is having money, having success, financial success is actually redefining your life and providing the kind of life that the people that you love want. Mm. So for example, maybe I still want to work, but I only want to work two days a week, right? Yeah. So I think defining that is very important and realizing that that's what money gives you. It's not really just the material thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. I like the way you defined it. Looking back at your more younger self, what is one piece of advice you would give her? Can I say buy Bitcoin? I'm joking. <laughs> you can, of course, if there was Bitcoin, then yes. <laughs> I think a lot of times, I will say that there are a lot of advice that you will, you read. So, for mm. example, make time for your parents or whatever. Like, you know, what people say when they're on their death, they're dying, right? But I do think that a lot of advice you need to experience it yourself yeah to really fully understand that so i will say that if i look back at my younger self i will say that i think be patient yeah because i'm naturally a very impatient person with myself with the things that i want to achieve right Mm. so i i just want it quick and i just wanted to do it myself yeah but i think a lot of it takes time and Really just be patient and surround yourself with good people to build you up. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Any other piece of advice that you would have for our women listeners here? I think that a lot of times we talk about how little gender pay gap, gender funding, right? And a lot of this and voice club. But I would, one thing that struck up to me over the past few years is how um, a lot of women who are in position of power or who are successful, they really try to build tables for other women and make sure that other women get a seat on the table. Nice. Very supportive, whether whether we help each other through advice, through introductions, recommending people. Yeah. So I, I think the last thing I was want to say is as a women leader or as an when you're climbing up the ladder, Always remember to give back to other women and try to help other people along the way because yeah. that's the only way we can all really bridge that difference. Yeah. With, you yeah. know. 
Correct. That is so wise. That is such a good advice because I know there is sometimes I hear this murmur or this thing, oh, like women don't support women enough or women pull down women. I don't know. I don't want to get into whether it's true or not true. I mean, we don't need to be a CEO to support other women. Whatever level you are, you can always support women around you. Like as you said, refer them, introduce them, open your network. But absolutely, I think collectively, we as the women try, we just need to do or get better at it. I think we're just reluctant doing it. Not that we don't have the right intention, but maybe we can get better at that. I think that's a really good good point that you've made, Anna. As we wrap up, I do want to share some of my key takeaways. There was there were a lot of them for sure. The first one uh, that stood out for me was, uh, which has been the theme of your of all your all your startups, is debunking myths. I think sometimes that is so important because a lot of time, whether it's cultural, whether it's society, whether it's just hearsay, things get thing right. Like women are this. Women should do this. Like there are a lot of myths floating around. And I think debunking myths is really powerful. That stood out for me. So that's the way one of the key takeaways. The second one I, which stuck out, which stood out for me was that being a woman, of course, can have a little bit of impediment, but it's also an advantage, right? It can also be an advantage in how as women leaders, we can leverage that advantage. And sometimes I find we don't do enough of that. So leveraging the fact that we are women, leveraging that to our advantage and to our benefits. I think that was my second key takeaway. And the third one is is you can't please everyone. I think, again, genetically, we are wired a little bit to to try and please or be, be people pleasers. Mm-hmm. But you, right, you rightly said we can't be pleasing all the people all the time. We can, there's a saying we can please some people sometimes, but we can't please all the people all the time. So, so those were three things that stood out for me. And uh, and the last one, as you said, is we as women leaders need to create the table for other women around. So thank you so much, Anna. It was such a pleasure speaking to you and all thank the best you. for your journey and for Zora Health. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for staying with us till the end. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please take a moment to subscribe to the show, rate us five stars and leave a review. This really helps others find the show and that means a lot to us. Thank you for joining us today. This is Ritu with Rewrite the Rules podcast. See you next time.